to the Success is Subjective podcast series brought to you by ParentTrainers.com presented by Lilly Consulting. I'm your host, Joanna Lilly. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Ethan Fisher. Ethan is a keynote speaker and a mental health advocate who draws from his life experience to challenge, motivate, and inspire his audiences. From star high school athlete to prison inmate, to recipient of an MBA with honors, Ethan's life is a lesson in accountability, desire, and perseverance. Ethan's experiences became a catalyst for his devotion to inspiring others. He has spoken in hundreds of cities, motivating and engaging almost 100,000 audience members to take hold of their lives and pursue their dreams. A raw and passionate speaker, Ethan captivates audiences with his story of adversity and his techniques for channeling desire into purposeful action. A staunch mental health and substance abuse advocate, Ethan is the founder of a nonprofit to support education and prevention for students and student athletes. He has been featured in a best selling book and interviewed for other books, newspaper articles, numerous podcasts, and also radio and television shows, including HLN and CNN. Let's not wait any longer. Here's Ethan. All right, Ethan, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joanna. I'm excited. Let's let's just dive right in. So why don't you tell our listeners, where did you grow up originally and what were the expectations that you were told, maybe from your family or kind of the greater community, regarding expectations for post-secondary education? So I grew up, I'm a native of Colorado. I uh, spent most of my, my younger years in Fort Collins. I was always raised to go to college after high school. That, that's been a big push in our family. And I'm the oldest of five, five kids and every single one of them has gone to college. Uh, my mom went to college and graduated in three years. She went to, she actually was 17 years old when she started college. Um, so it's always been a big push for us to kind of fall in line with that whole expectation of graduate high school, go to college, get your degree and start a nine to five and live, you know, the white picket fence and 2.3 kids or whatever it is nowadays. And, <laughs> um, so that was kind of the expectation. And obviously with, with my life and how everything turned out, it, it was nowhere near that path. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm, I, and we want to dig into that. So why don't you uh, just share a little bit with the listeners? Like, I, I mean, I know a little bit of your personal story, but maybe other folks who are listening don't. So kind of talk us through, like, where did you initially go to school? Why did you go to school? And kind of what was that initial transition or several transitions? What did they look like? Yeah. So when I was a kid and I mean, adolescence, I was a, I was kind of a nasty teenager. Um, I hated school. The only reason I went to school was well, cause I had to, and for sports. And I kind of had that same mentality when I went to college, I was on athletic scholarship to play college basketball. And that was the only reason why I went to school. And during that process of being a freshman in college and living away from my parents, I started to realize like, man, I'm in the, I'm in the dorms. I can do whatever I want. I don't have parents telling me what to do. I, all I have to do is go to class and go to practice and I can drink and party. 
So I took that to the extreme, kind of like what I do with everything in life and ended up basically drinking every single day until I failed out second semester after my freshman year in college. So school was never, it was never something I wanted to do. But if I wanted to play college basketball, it was what I was supposed to do. So after I fell out of that school, I ended up going to uh, actually four more college basketball programs and basically doing the same thing over and over. Didn't like school, was only there for basketball. Things went wrong with me and coach, and I started to do drugs and alcohol and partying, and, and the academics were never, never important to me. And so I always ended up failing out at semester or you know, leaving at semester and quitting in the middle of season because I didn't want to be a part of the academics. So at my fifth school and kind of breaking down the history of all this at my fifth school, I, I failed out again, went back home to front range community college to get my grades up to go play again. And I ended up drinking and driving and, um, ended up killing an innocent person. So obviously I had to go away for that. And that kind of changed my whole life, obviously because of the significance but it also changed my perspective on what was more important to me, you know, now being a felon um, and how important academics were. So failing out of five schools, I ended up deciding, you know, while I was in prison that I needed every single piece of education and positive reinforcement to basically better myself and make sure that I wasn't one of those fallen statistics, you know, for felons. And so I went back to school and, you know, received two bachelor degrees, three minors, a master's degree, graduated all these academic awards, you know, 4.0, and was focused on the academic piece. And I know we were just, you know, briefly talking about the gap years and non-traditional paths. I didn't realize how important school was until I was basically 28 years old. And now... I, I believe in, in school so much because it's helped me, but I also know that there's different paths for people to take and that whether it's vocational or not even going to school, there's different ways to succeed in life. And it, it is a process, but, you know, college is a great foundation. It's a great place to start, but it's not for everybody. Yeah. Well, and I, I think to, to your point too, even just about like the, how it took you until the age of 28 to like really capitalize or understand the importance of education. I think that we don't, we don't share this enough that college can wait, right? You don't have to be enrolled at a college at age 18. You can wait until you're 58, yeah. right? I think that we just, we put so much pressure on this developing brain who, and similar to your situation, like, we end up making really impulsive uh, decisions because that's how we're wired to be at such a young age. And if you're if you're in school for non-academic reasons, it's the fast track for there to be like some major issues. I think you even brought it up earlier too that the idea of going to school just to go to school too could potentially put you in a really significant financial situation, right? Especially because college is so expensive nowadays. So I'm just kind of curious too, like, why don't you speak a little bit about, you know, where you are now? Cause you're not 28, but 
dang, you racked up those degrees quickly. I'm curious what you actually got your degrees in and kind of what you're doing with them now. Yeah, so, and I, I do this as part of my speech when when I'm speaking with schools and colleges. Um, you know, I always kind of make a joke out of it because I, I kind of have to. But I've gone to nine different colleges and universities, and I don't have a, a doctor by my name or a PhD, even though I should with as many classes of, as I've take, <laughs> taken. But um, so after the I went to prison, I basically, out of all those, those five previous schools, I only carried over 30 credits because of all the transferring. So I only completed 30 credits in five years. Um, wow. Yeah. So when I got out, I had a lot of work to do. And that, and the reason I'm setting this up is because of the amount of work I did do. I ended up in a matter of three years, earned two bachelor degrees with three minors starting out with only three or with 30 credits. So I was taking anywhere between 12 and 24 and a half credits a trimester, working 40 hours a week and being a full-time college basketball player. And then my last year, I was a full-time college basketball coach. And so I was dedicated and I worked my tail off during those first three years to get those, you know, the 4.0 um, I got a bachelor degree in entrepreneurship. Um, I got a bachelor degree in business administration. And then my three minors were psychology, finance, and sports marketing. So I worked really, really hard to obtain those in a matter of three years. And then I went and got my master's degree and completed that in two years. But I say all this because when I went back to school, and this is a big thing I talk to students about too, is I started applying things that I wanted to in my life. One reason I struggled so bad in college before was I didn't want to be in a history class. I didn't want to be in a geography class or, you know, taking, you know, all of our prerequisite, you know, core classes. None of those were intriguing to me. So when I finally got to my last university, I started with my entrepreneurship degree. I was I was awarded the Entrepreneur Student of the Year Award at my university for the business plan that I created in prison with a bunch of inmates. So I started applying all these things that meant something to me and it made school fun. It made school easy. Um, and that's what a lot of people don't get to do is when you t- go to a typical four-year school, you're, you're told you got to take these classes for your core classes. And then your junior, senior year, you might be able to take 12 or 24 credits here and there of, of classes that you want to take. But at the university I was at, Johnson & Wales, I was able to actually jump right in and take business classes and take finance classes and real estate classes. So I ended up doing really well because it was stuff that I I wanted to do. No, that makes sense. And and I think it even goes back to, you know, where you were in the first five years of education, right? You just talked about how you're interested, you're engaged, you're motivated. And I think that your priorities previously were in a very different place, right? Like school was an afterthought, like, okay, this is what I have to do in order to be able to play, to play basketball and to be able to party, right? Like you I I can reflect back on my own college experience and say, like, if I didn't care about a class, I didn't show up. Right. Or or I just like put in half ass work because that's like I just wanted to skate by. So I imagine that that's when you're not focused on the academic piece being something that you can like actually take advantage of, then everything else 
takes over. And that's where your grades significantly suffer. And subsequently, you kind of lean on really uh, unhealthy coping skills. You're listening to the Success is Subjective podcast, and I'm your host, Joanna Lilly. As a reminder, if you've missed any past episodes, you can catch them on Apple Podcasts. My guest today is Ethan Fisher. So Ethan, kind of switching gears a little bit, why don't you fill folks in? Because I, I got super excited when I reached out to you because it's been a couple of years, but I actually was in the audience for one of your presentations. And so I want my listeners to hear more about what it is that you're doing now that you've had all of these like opportunities switching kind of your academic trajectory later in life, what are you doing now? So my entire life is dedicated to being a keynote speaker and working with middle school, high schools, colleges, um, felony reintegration programs, and working with adults on choices and decisions. Uh, a big piece, what I, I, I do now is on mental health and suicide awareness and prevention. Um, a lot's changed since you've seen me speak four or five years ago. But my entire life, the, the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I go to bed is dedicated into getting the next speech or getting in front of the next crowd so I can, I can have those moments with students that are, are my motivation. Um, you know, when I started as a keynote speaker, I didn't even know what a keynote speaker was. I used to kind of laugh at it and was, thought they were kind of like snake oil salesmen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Then I saw, I saw an individual at my university and his story was so powerful that I made a decision that at that moment after seeing him speak that I was going to be a speaker. And I didn't know that it was a career. I didn't know it was an industry. And so from that moment, um, back in 2012, I started planning and plotting on how I was going to change my entire trajectory of where I was going. Like I... I was coaching college basketball. I was getting ready to open up a business and then I decided to be a speaker. So I kind of went away from everything that I'd been planning to do this one job. And I haven't looked back. It's, it's been rough at times, especially during this pandemic, obviously that it, um, the pandemic stopped. I had 35 colleges planned in, in April and May last year and then the pandemic hit. So it's been, it's been an interesting ride, but, what I do, I, I can't, like, I, I, I've gotten thousands of letters from students who said they didn't drink and drive or they didn't slit their wrists after they saw me speak and that I give them hope. And that kind of just summarizes what my job is now. It's, I, I think I have the coolest job in the world. Um, I get to, I get to empower students into making better choices about life, but I also get to prevent drunk driving and and also get to prevent kids from thinking about suicide. You know, obviously really tough subjects, but you know, when I was a kid, we didn't talk about this. You know, my eighth grade was the first time I ever tried to commit suicide and it was taboo and stigmatized not to talk about it. And so I've taken this opportunity in my position to be upfront about this stuff because when you don't talk about these issues, that's when things go wrong. Um, so I, I've, I've kind of, you know, just been driven to help people. And that that's kind of where I'm at right now. And, you know, every day is working towards getting to the next group of people that I can help and inspire. 
Yeah, and, and you hit the nail on the head that so many young people, we need more hope now more than ever. And and unfortunately, I mean, I'm also a professional working kind of in that substance abuse, mental health space, and it's still taboo. Yeah. Like it's not, it shocks me on a daily basis how we aren't more assertive, borderline aggressive of having this conversation in an effort to be direct, to educate, and to also instill that that sense of connection, because that's often what's driving us to this point of suicide ideation or substance abuse as a way of kind of self-medicating. And it's a, it's a really tough situation, especially for our young people who are feeling so disconnected right now, the way that the world is, you know, with the pandemic. So I'm, we'll get to how people can still connect with you. I know that you said you kind of had to pivot because of not having in-person presentations, but I'd love to hear if you're willing to share so I'm going to ask you this question point blank because I asked this to all of my guests. Do you see yourself as successful? Yes, but no. <laughs> um, I'm never satisfied. And so I, I have very lofty, audacious goals. And when I don't achieve those or I don't get that immediate gratification or, you know, achieving them right away, I, I get in my own, you know, depressive state, you know, I'm, I'm on medication and I struggle with that just like everybody else. But what I've been able to do and turn my life around and, and being sober for 17 plus years from the accident, I'm, I'm happy with who I am, but I'm not satisfied. If that makes any sense. I, I, mm-hmm. I, think I have so much more to give and I, I want to, like my goal is to speak to a, a million students and I'm a 10th of the way there, but I know when I get to that marker, I'm not going to be satisfied. I'm going to be like, well, I want to get to another million. Um, right. And that's, that's kind of, you know, why I did so well in school was, and, and I talk about that too, is once you figure out what you want to do and you start achieving these goals and you start putting your mind to it, the more you achieve, the more you want to set goals for. So once you hit one objective, then you're like, man, I got to do something else. And so that's kind of how my mentality is. And, you know, the whole thing was starting a couple companies to to where I could speak. And, and, you know, when I hit my numbers, I'm still going to be motivated to do more. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's, what's important for all of us, right? That idea of just because I hit one milestone doesn't mean that I just stop altogether. And for somebody who's like your life's mission is to reach as many young people as possible. It makes complete sense that you're striving to continue, right? Once you hit that 1 million student mark, right? You're going to strive for another million. That makes complete sense. And from an outsider perspective, I still see you as even having only hit that a 10th of your goal. Like that's still a heck of a lot of students that you've already connected with. And who's to say that because of, that pebble thrown in the pond, that that ripple effect with those 100,000 young people, it's, it's impressive. So if you could give one piece of advice to a young person who's kind of struggling right now, especially this like college aged population, what piece of advice would you give them? One of my biggest pieces, and you know, obviously I've got a couple things of advice, but I think right now, um, one of the biggest things I'm, I'm focusing on 
is if you're struggling with depression or some type of mental health or social anxiety or anxiety, uh, eating disorder, don't be afraid to get help. It takes strength to get help. And I think in our society, we live in this social media where everybody's living in this comparison and they have these perfect pictures on Instagram and, and everybody thinks that they're living this perfect life. But the reality is everybody's struggling. I mean, if you look at the sheer numbers with the, the pandemic, you know, they say one in five is struggling with depression. But if you ask more and more people about it, they're, they're going to be closer to 50, 60 percent who are struggling with something. Everybody's got something going on. So the reality is we're all struggling with something. Don't be afraid to get help. Um, I know when I was struggling, I, I got help and it's helped. I mean, that's the whole point of they're certified professionals that can help you get through this. And, you know, that's the biggest thing. Don't be afraid to talk about it. Yeah, I like that. To I mean, it, it does take strength to reach out. And yet once you actually kind of reach out, you realize that you're not alone by by a long shot. So so, Ethan, how can people connect with you? Uh, so I've got a couple different uh, places you guys can check me out. So my nonprofit, which is called Life Consequences, um, that's my organization where I speak with youth, middle school, high schools, and, uh, you know, actually some prison systems. Uh, that is Life Consequences, and it's, well, it's lifecon.org. So that's a great place you can track me down. I got a new website. It's actually up this weekend. And it's awesome. So go check it out. Um, and then my personal website is ethan-fisher.com. And that's for all my college and professional events where I work with, you know, corporations. And, you know, a big piece, I work with a lot of college students. That's actually over half of what my business is about is working with, with college students. So um, those are the two locations that you can find me. It's not hard to track me down on, you know, on social media, uh, efish.com. LifeCon on Instagram and Ethan Fisher on Facebook, but those are the places you can find me. There's contact information and emails and videos and anything that you need. And we're starting to include some more resources for, for students who are struggling with stuff. So um, just know that there's help out there. If I can't directly help you, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, I'll, I'll make sure that I try to find some help for you in one way or another. Yeah. You strike me as the person that's always going to be available when somebody reaches out. So if I love how you just said, look, if I can't help you, I'm going to get you connected to somebody else who can. Ethan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, Joanna, thank you. That's it for this week's Success is Subjective episode. I want to thank my guest again for joining me this week and for being willing to share their story. This podcast would not exist if it weren't for people such as yourself. Stay tuned for our next episode where you can bet it'll be another amazing human sharing their personal story with the world. You can follow me on Instagram at Lily Consulting and on Facebook at Lily Consulting LLC. But most importantly, check out the resources on my website at www.lilyconsulting.com. If you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts, please do me a favor and subscribe. Also, while you're there, if you would be so kind, leave me a review. You can also download to listen to the Success is Subjective podcast on other popular podcast apps such as Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Make sure you check out the show notes where you will find contact information, website details, and all social media for our guests. 
Once again, thank you to parenttrainers.com for sponsoring this podcast series. And thank you for tuning in. And remember, there is no single path through life. Success is what you make it.